Matt Santon is the founding pastor of River Ridge Church and currently serves as the lead pastor at the Charleston campus. Matt and his wife Stacy were called in 2002 to move from Morgantown, West Virginia to Charleston to begin a church with a welcome feel and casual atmosphere where God's word was taught in a practical way. Since then, God has grown River Ridge Church to two campuses, helping thousands of people take the next steps in their journey with God. In Matt's role as lead pastor, he primarily serves as the teacher and communicator on Sunday morning services. Matt grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and currently lives in Charleston, where he is also the men's tennis coach at the University of Charleston. Please join me in welcoming guest speaker, Matt Stanton. All right. It's fun to be welcomed like that. Like, I wish every time I walked into my house, my kids would go, yeah, dad's home. The only person that does that is my dog. She's excited every time I come home. Hey, it is great to be here. Welcome to River Ridge. If you're watching online, uh, welcome. So glad that you're tuning in. Uh, man, what a great place to be this morning. I am thrilled uh, to be here. It's interesting, earlier in the service, uh, you may if you were here, there was a video about the middle school camp uh, that just got back on Friday. And I have a middle schooler, our youngest uh, just finished middle school, so he went to the Wild Side camp. And on Saturday, he and I were talking about it, you know, what'd you like and how was it? And, you know, just hearing about his experiences and so forth. And then he says to me this, he says, Dad, that was the best week of my whole year. As a matter of fact, that might have been the best week of my whole life. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's high praise for going uh, away with a church uh, to a camp. And what's interesting about that comment is he, it's okay to tell me, but he better not tell his grandparents because they've taken him to like the Galapagos Islands, Panama Canal, Africa, all these places. Um, but I tell you this, uh, next year, middle school and high school will go on a camp, wherever that is next year. I would really encourage you, if you are a parent of a, of a student, to make sure your kid goes. Make sure your son or daughter goes. Switch your other plans. Switch their baseball camp that they're going to or whatever, because a week at a camp with leaders who love them is absolutely life-changing. Um, and I love the fact that my kid goes, the best week of my life was away at this camp with friends from church. Not plan there was no Xbox, there was no Fortnite, there was no phones. And I just think that's pretty awesome. So thanks for our student leaders around here. Uh, if you are new or newer to Riverridge Church, uh, we are in this series about three weeks in or so, and it's called The Other 316s. And the, uh, the premise of this series is the most famous 316 verse, John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Great verse. But what's interesting is as you look at the Bible, as you look at the different verses in the Bible, chapter 3, verse 16, ends up being a pretty instrumental or monumental verse in a lot of these different books of the Bible. So we thought over the summer, let's go ahead and look at a bunch of these 316 verses uh, and have people kind of change around from campus to campus uh, over the summer. And so it's been fun. I gave this message a few weeks ago in Charleston. It bombed. It was awful. So I kind of spruced it up for you guys. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, but anyway, but it's just this opportunity that we have to look into God's Word. So the 316s, we're actually, I actually get to do two. It's kind of a buy one, get one free, because I like a good deal. Uh, but it's going to be Colossians 3 and also 2 Timothy 3.16. Colossians 3.16 and 2 Timothy. So let's pray as we look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the folks that you have brought here. 
And uh, God, as we look into your word, as I share some insights and stories and scriptures, as I, as I do that, God, I pray that uh, you, not me, would be the loudest voice in this room, Lord. That each person is here because you have something that you want to tell them. And God, if that comes through my mouth, that's awesome. Uh, if it comes from somewhere else, a conversation, or your Holy Spirit speaking directly, that's awesome as well. God, I pray that each person here would hear what you have them would have them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So my wife Stacy and I, we have been married for 26 years, and a few years ago on one of our major anniversaries, we went to New York City, and we had an absolutely awesome time. We did all the New York City kinds of things. We went to a New York Knicks game, and I got one of those little foam finger deals. We went uh, to the M&M shop. We went to a Broadway play. We went to a Broadway musical. We walked around and looked at all the wacko people in New York City. Uh, we rode the subway. It was just, it was a blast. And, uh, but we had a couple of interesting experiences when it came to the subway. So we stayed at a hotel up here. Uh, so this is a map, subway map of Manhattan and, and New York area. So we stayed here in what's called Columbus Circle area. And it's right on the intersection of a bunch of different subways. And so one day, uh, one evening, we were at uh, a musical uh, on Broadway, which is kind of down more in this area. Uh, and so we got on the train to come back to our hotel, got on the subway. And I looked at the, it was the blue line that takes us there. And so I got on the blue line subway. Well, it turns out uh, that when you go on a New York subway, it's not just the color that matters, it's the color, but then there's also a letter or a number. And so we were on the wrong train. And so we ended up a couple of blocks away from where we should have been as far as where we got off. We got off, we walked, I don't know, maybe five or six blocks. It was not a big deal. Got back to our hotel. Well, the next day we went and saw the Rockettes, Radio City Music Hall, the little can-can thing, their Santa show, all that kind of stuff. It was a blast. And that was kind of down in this area. And once again, I'm like, okay, the orange line, I think it was, takes us back to where our hotel is. We get on the orange line. And we end up, I look at the stops, and they're not matching up, and I'm on the wrong orange line train. I was on the B, I should have been on the D, or whatever it was. And so this time, we end up like probably 10 or 12 blocks away. But again, not a big deal. We get off the train, we walk to our hotel from there, and we get there safely. So then, a couple days later, we are heading back, flying back to Charleston, and uh, JFK is way over there, right? And you can see the blue line goes there. So we're at the hotel, and once again, I get on the blue line to head to JFK. Well, you can probably figure out where this is going. I did not check the letter or the number of the train that we're on. And so I'm looking at the subway stops, and we're fine for a while. And then all of a sudden, the subway stops on the map are not matching the subway stations that we're going past. And I realize that we are on the wrong subway. It's going to take us a totally different place. And so when I figure this out, I get off, and we're like, Stacy, we got to get off. So we get off, and we're over here in, in Brooklyn uh, somewhere. So we get off at this platform, this subway station, and you have seen this subway station because it, it looks like every subway station from any gang movie from New York that you have ever seen. Like, if you've ever seen a gang movie filmed in New York, it took place right there. I mean, we get, and this is like, ooh, we are not in Kansas or West Virginia or anywhere that we're familiar with. And so we got back on the subway. We backtracked a couple of stops and got off at what looked to be a major area because at this point, we can't get the train 
to get our plane. And so we go up, and we're looking around, and there's no taxis there, right? And, and here's the thing. If you're like one of them youngins, you realize that Uber did not always exist, right? I'm hard to believe, yeah. Um, but Uber did not exist, and so we're like, what do we do? And so there's like Lincoln town cars there. There's, there's like four of them. We're like, hey, are you guys drivers? Can you take us to JFK? And this guy, yeah, man, we take you wherever you want. <laughs> that's not a Brooklyn accent. That's like a guy from South LA or something like that. But you, could, anyway, but he, anyway, he was like, yeah, well, I'll take you. Um, and uh, but it costs us forty bucks, and we're late already. And he is just screaming through traffic, and it's a little bit crazy. And uh, but I tell you that story because. When we did this thing and we, you know, we got there, well, you know, here's the other thing that happened. So we get there and we've got our luggage with us uh, and we had like a big piece of luggage and a small piece of luggage. And so we're too late to go and like check it normally. So we go through security and they say, you can take the, the little piece on the plane, but the big piece you need to check, gate check it under the plane. And so we gate checked it under the plane. We have not seen that piece of luggage to this day. Still, it never has turned up in Charleston, West Virginia. And, and the thing is, is, as I think about that story, like I wish that I had figured out the subway system a lot earlier. But I, but I didn't, and so that the first time, like a little bit of stress. The second time, not really much more stress, but the third time, when it cost me 40 bucks, you know, instead of like 250 to ride the subway, a ton of stress getting there, and we lost our luggage, right? And, and so somewhere at some place, you know, there's somebody who has my New York Knicks foam finger wearing my I Love New York t-shirt, and his wife is wearing my wife's like sexy anniversary lingerie. I'm like, that's not right. There's something wrong about that. But it cost me. It cost me. And I think about that, and I go, man, I wish that I had learned my lesson earlier. I wish the truth about how the subway system actually worked with numbers and letters and colors that I had known that. And as I've been thinking about it this week, I realize that no New Yorker would ever make that same mistake that I made because they know. They know the subway system like the back of their hand, and they know if they're going to a part of the subway system that they don't know very well, they know that you look at the letter and the color and the number of the train that you're getting on. And I think, man, I caused myself, we, I caused our family, the two of us, some pain because I didn't know the right way to do this thing. But if I had been a New Yorker, if that truth had been in my heart, if I had known it like a New Yorker, then I'd have done much well, much better. But it wasn't. You know, I share that story. It's kind of a funny story, and, and you know, it's, it was a long time ago, and it's not that big of a deal, but I think about the decisions that we make, that we make decisions because we don't know God's truth, we don't know God's wisdom, and we make some decisions that we wish we could go back in time and undo those decisions, right? Like, have you ever done this? Have you ever said something that came out of your mouth and it hurt the person you were talking to? And immediately, you're like, ah, I wish I could take that back. But you can't. You can't go back in time and take it back. Or has anybody ever been in a financial situation where you were just struggling? You were crushed under the weight of some financial pressures in your life that came because of a decision that you made a month ago or two months ago or a year ago when you signed some contract or got into some loan 
You're like, man, I wish I could go back in time, but you can't. Or has anybody ever dated somebody? You're like, ooh, that was a bad choice, <laughs> right? But it takes you like six or nine months to figure that out. You're like, I wish I had to figure that out on the second date, right? Wish you had known. We can't go back in time. Or how about this? Has anybody ever experienced stress in your life? Just a ton of stress. And you go through stuff and you go through hard times and stress and you're like, ah, this is awful. And then you get to the end of it and it kind of lifts. And, and you wish as you look back, like, why did I carry that stress with me? Because I couldn't even have changed that situation that I was in. But yet we bear that, the pain of all of that. You see, if we know the truth, and the truth is part of us, and it's in our hearts, the truth of God's wisdom and God's principles, if that's in us, then we don't make some of these bad mistakes in life. So here's the big idea for today, and it's this. It's the depth of truth determines the speed of obedience. The depth of truth determines the speed of obedience. You see, when we know the truth, when the truth is deep within us, it speeds up obedience to the truth. And really what it does is it speeds us, us having God's blessings. Because when we follow what God says, that's when blessing comes to our lives. Here's how Paul puts it in Colossians 3.16. He says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Because the deeper God's word is in us, the more it dwells in us, the more of God's blessings that we experience, the quicker we get to doing what God wants us to do. And here's the thing. As you think about all that the Bible contains, it contains so much truth about all kinds of different areas of life, about stress, about marriage, about parenting, about being safe, about all kinds of stuff, about faith, about relationships with people, relationships with God, relationship with God. There's all this stuff of truth in the Bible that's out there, but the question, is it dwelling in us richly? And I love the word that Paul uses here, the word richly. And it's this idea, and he actually, uh, it's the word in uh, the original language, it's plusios, but he, he takes this word as it's usually applied to generosity and wealth. So Jesus actually uses this same word in telling a story about a man who had a ton of money. Uh, one of the gospel writers uses the same word to talk about Joseph of Arimathea, who is a very rich man, and Jesus uh, was laid in his tomb. But what it means, it's this idea that when there is great wealth, it overflows with generosity. When somebody is incredibly wealthy and incredibly generous, it overflows into everything else that they have, everything that they do. And so when Paul writes, let the word of God dwell in you richly, he says, when God's word dwells in us richly, it overflows and affects everything else in our lives. Let the word of God dwell in you richly so that you can make the right choices. Let the map of New York City subway dwell in you richly so you get on the right subway system here. Here's another verse. It says same thing in a, just a slightly different way. It's Psalm 119, verse 11. 
And, and by the way, for those of you guys who are math people, this is the three, the other 316 story, right? The other 316 sermons here. So 16 minus 3 is what? Come on, you're smarter than that. 16 minus 3 is? 13. 13. There we go. Okay, and look at this. Ready? 1 plus 1 plus 9 plus 1 plus 1 equals? 13. There we go. So I can use Psalm 119 verse 11 in my sermon today. But it says this. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It says, it's a prayer. It's saying, the word of God is so deeply in my heart that it affects me that I won't sin against God. And so here's the application for this morning. We're going to talk a bit about this. Here's the challenge for this morning. Is I'm going to challenge you to hide God's word in your heart. I'm going to challenge you that God's word would dwell in you richly. I'm going to challenge you this morning that you would memorize parts of God's word as a result of the message this morning. That you would memorize parts of God's word and that God would lead you to those. And we'll get to that in a minute. But here's the thing. As I talk about memorizing God's word, there are some of you and you hear they go, that's the application. You're going, I need that. I kind of need a challenge in my life, and this is going to be a great boost to get me further with God. That's good. I'm glad about that. And there's some of you in here, and you're new to following Jesus. And maybe this is the first time that ever anyone has ever said, memorize some verses from the Bible. And you're like, I'm going to give it a shot. That sounds good. And there's certainly some of you here that you've bumped up against kind of the bad subway decisions that I made in the sense of you've made the wrong decision over and over again. You go, gosh, when am I going to learn? And so you're looking for a verse that's going to help you because you keep making that same mistake over and over again. But I also know that there's some of you, as I say, hey, the challenge is to memorize God's word. There's some of you guys going, I ain't doing it. I tried that before when I was a kid it just it wasn't helpful I didn't you had to have like the word perfect and say the verse before and after and it just it was detached from my life and I ain't doing it and and I fell in that category for a long time in my life Uh, when I first became a Christian people said memorize the Bible so there was some verses that I memorized but it seemed very kind of detached from who I was and how I was living and so uh, I went on staff with a ministry called Young Life. Some of you are probably familiar with it. Uh, and I've been a Christian about six or seven years at this point in time. And I went on staff with Young Life. And I went to uh, the first training of my second year. And there was a new trainer uh, that was training about a group of 10 of us. And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to meet every other week. And every other week, you're going to come with some verses that you have memorized before you get here. And I was kind of young and contentious or whatever, and I'm like, Rob, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't, I don't want to do that. I've done Bible memory in the past, and it just hasn't been helpful. It didn't really feel like it hit my heart. I, I don't want to do it. I think it's a stupid idea. I don't know if I use the word stupid, but I was you know, in that vein. And, um, but I was the only one that was pushing back on this. Every other person in my group of 10 in our training group said, no, 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 man, it's a good thing. Memorize scripture. It's just you're supposed to do it, so do it. You're supposed to do it, so do it. And I really wrestled with it, but they were like, do it, do it, do it. I'm like, okay. And I, and I did it because, you know, I'm sort of a compliant person. I'm like, well, I got to follow the rules and do it. But I found a way that I needed to, or I needed to find a way that, that worked for me. 
right? And so I, up to this point in my life, I had always been, since becoming a Christian, had really journaled a lot and read scripture and had good, solid times with God, but it was not about memorizing the Bible. And so I said, I need to take this assignment that I don't really like and put it into how I'm already wired. And so all the verses we had to memorize, I would spend three, four, five days on each one, reading them in context, picking them apart, writing about them, reflecting on how they worked in my life. And then the memory memorization part came a lot easier. So we get to the end of the training uh, year, kind of went from September through May. We get to the end, and we're supposed to recite all of the verses that we've memorized throughout the whole training year. Only one person in all of our training group was able to recite all the verses that we'd memorized. You want to guess who it was? Yeah, it was me. It was me. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, But here's the thing is, I I don't say that to like, hey, brag on myself, because memorization is really hard for me. But I think the reason that I memorize the scriptures better or more diligently than the other people is, is for two things. One, I found something that worked for me, but second is I really wrestled with it. I really struggled with it where everybody else just said, ah, it's good to do, we're going to do it, and didn't wrestle with it. So where do you start? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let the word of God dwell in you Richly. So what verses do we memorize? Do we start in Genesis and just start memorizing? Do we pick a book of the Bible? Well, what I want to do is kind of two things. One is I want to give you a framework so that you can see or you can find some verses that are going to work for you. Uh, and then second, at the end, I'm going to give you a few verses that I think are fairly universal that a lot of people have areas that they struggle with and give those to you as well. So, but I want us to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it says this. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so Paul wrote this uh, to Timothy to kind of show him about how to be a leader in the church. But I want to highlight this first little phrase. It's breathed out by God. And so what Paul was telling Timothy and what we need to understand is when we talk about the Bible— This is not man's opinion. This is not Paul's opinion on how to live life. This is not Luke's opinion on what Jesus might have said. This is not Isaiah's opinion or Moses' opinion. When we read God's word, it is truth that comes breathed out by God for us, for our benefit. And then the next phrase here, it says, is profitable for teaching. And so what that means is these are things that you look for as you read God's word on your own. So you're reading through, and the Bible teaches us all sorts of things about all kinds of parts of life. Again, it said about money and marriage and things like that, but also one of the things to really look for is when it teaches you about his own character. God teaches us about his character, and it's all through the Bible. So let's say you're reading, you come across uh, this psalm, Psalm 23, and it says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And so you read that verse and you say, man, that, that's great. I love what I learn. I love what it teaches me about the character of God. I'm going to memorize that verse. And so you commit that verse to memory, right? You hide it in your heart. It dwells in you richly. And then the next day, the next week, maybe a couple weeks after that, 
stuff starts to happen in your life. Maybe you get in a car accident. Maybe your boss piles on a ton of work. Maybe something happens with your kids. But something happens in your life that is difficult, that's a struggle, and that happens with all of us. And then, because the Word of God dwells in you richly, you have Psalm 23 in your head, in your heart, and you begin to work through it in your brain. You say, oh, life is tough. Life is hard. This situation or that situation but the Lord is my shepherd. It means he's going to look out for me. I shall not be in want. I may not have all my needs met, but what I really, I might have all my wants met, but, but what I really need is going to be, God is going to come through with that. And he's going to lead me to some quiet waters, some calmness. And he's going to take me to green pastures to give me what I need. And that verse, because it's in your heart, sees you through that time instead of however else you would have maybe responded to that difficulty in your life. Then it continues on. It says, uh, it's profitable for reproof and correction. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't use the word reproof or reproof very often, but it means to rebuke or to tell somebody what is wrong. And then correction is to tell somebody what is the correct way. It's, so this is what's wrong. That is doing it right. And I don't know, I sometimes think like a middle schooler. And so the only way that I can kind of remember the difference between reproof and correction is reproof is don't pick your nose in public. Correction is use a tissue or go behind a tree and pick your nose. So that's how I remember the difference between reproof and correction. But as you read through the Bible, there's all kinds of places that it says, don't do this, stay away from this, but instead do this thing over here. I'll give you an example of what that might look like. Uh, let's say lust is something that you struggle with. Matthew 5.28 says this. It says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what it's saying there is it's saying don't lust. That is the reproof. But then the flip side, the correction is this from 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. All their sins a person commits are outside his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's the correction. So don't lust, do flee from sexual immorality. It's just kind of an idea of verses to potentially memorize. The next phrase in this Second uh, Timothy is this. It says, training in righteousness. Again, the Bible is filled with all sorts of things, all sorts of teachings about this is what it means to be righteous in the way that you live your life. And probably one of the most righteous things that you can do is love other people. And so you come across this verse in John chapter 15 that says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you memorize that and you live that. And if that dwells in your heart richly, it's going to change the way that you interact with your family. It's going to change the way that you interact with your in-laws. It's going to change the way that you interact with your neighbors or the people that you work with. Because now you're saying, I'm going to love them. I'm going to lay down my life for them. And it comes because we say, I want to have this righteousness that's talked about in 2 Timothy 3.16. Again, this is just a framework as you read the Bible on your own, these are things to look for. And when something stands out to you, say, man, that stands out. I'm going to work on memorizing that so it's hidden in my heart, so it dwells in me richly. 
Now, I want to kind of change gears a little bit. And as I interact with people, as I talk to people about the stuff that's going on in their lives, the difficulties, there are some things that are common that come up with a lot of people that cause difficulty in life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you seven different verses to potentially memorize. I'm not saying memorize all seven of these. I'm saying if one of these is an issue that you face, memorize the verse that goes along with it. So I'm going to give you seven of them. Here's the first one. It's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this. Hold on, I gotta help me get started. It says this. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility look to others as more important than yourselves. That's the, the gist of it. Again, that's not word perfect. The, the point is not to have it word perfect, it's, but it's to have it in your heart. And, and I have this as a marriage verse because for Stacy and I, this has been our marriage verse for 26 years of marriage. And, and to be honest, like we have a very good marriage. Uh, there's a lot of other things in my life that aren't good and kind of messed up, but we have a good marriage because both of us have put this verse into practice and it is part of our hearts. And so when we get in fights about stuff, when there's conflict about time, about money, about whatever, both of us come back to this verse Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so I go, what's going to be best for Stacy? And she at the same time is saying, what's going to be best for Matt? This is a great verse to memorize if you need something in terms of your marriage. Here's the next one. It's worry. And this is uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, and when I was memorizing, I just need some help, and I said, the pizza God, so the pizza God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this is a great verse to memorize, because, and I love the beginning that says, do not be anxious, do not worry, do not be stressed about anything, but with prayer and petition. In other words, if you're worried, if you're anxious, if you're stressed, take whatever it is you're anxious and worried or stressed over and replace it with prayer. And I quoted this verse over and over and over and over for about a month and a half, about a month and a half. When Stacy and I moved from Cleveland, Ohio to Morgantown, West Virginia, we moved, but our house hadn't sold in Cleveland. And it just caused me a ton of stress. We had to live in somebody else's basement for a while. My wife was pregnant. We're like, this would be weird to have a baby in somebody else's house. And we'd go to the hospital to have it, but it'd be weird to have it there. But, and so every time I would drive past a for sale sign of anybody's house, immediately I would get this kind of tightness in my chest, this stress, like our house is never going to sell. But then God brought this to mind. Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition, make your requests be known to God. And so every time I saw one of those signs, for sale sign, I got anxious, but then I started to pray. And I started to pray, God, sell our house. God, sell our house. God, sell our house. And it was one of those things like it was God's timing because when our house finally sold, within like 45 minutes, we got two, not one, but two offers on our house in Cleveland. And so the realtor turned them against each other and said, both of you give your best offer. And so we got the best offer or price out of our house that we could have. And I really believe it's because take the stress and anxiety, the worry and say, instead, I'm gonna use that as a prompt to pray. Here's the next one, temptation. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But when you are tempted, God will provide a way out for you or a way out from under it. And that's a great verse to memorize. No matter what kind of temptation you face, when you face temptation, to that end part, it says, but God will provide a way out. And when again, when that verse is hidden in your heart, when it dwells in you richly, the response time of going, oh, this is what God says. I'm going to look for the way out instead of falling to this temptation. Here's the next one. Peace in relationships. I love this one. Romans 12, 18. It says this, So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So far as it depends on you. You know, all of us have relationship problems. And so you get into the relationship, there's tension with whoever it is. You go, what do I do? What do I do? And then this verse comes to mind. So far as it depends on you, live at peace. So I can affect me. I can make choices for me. But I can't make my coworker. I can't make the person in the bank line. I can't make this somebody do what I want them to do, right? But what I can do, as far as it depends on me, I can make choices for me and then let things fall how they may. Here's the next one. Is financial sense. Proverbs 22, 7 simply says this. The borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. And so every time that you borrow money, whether that means you are buying a house, whether it means you are taking a loan out on a car, whether you are even signing a contract, you know, to AT&T for a phone, the borrower is slave to the lender. You are in that contract, you know, or maybe if it's everybody's best friend, Visa or MasterCard to discover, right? You are a slave to the lender until that is paid off. Here's another one. Parenting. Parenting. Does anybody not struggle with parenting? Right? The only people that don't struggle with parenting are people that don't have kids yet. Right? They are, they're the best parents out there. Right? I struggle with parenting. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a great framework for making decisions. Whether your kids are little and smashing oyster crackers in the couch or whether they're teenagers and they're on their phone all the time or whether they're learning to drive or curfews or whatever it is, you think, okay, what do I do? My kid just messed up. I don't know how, I'm frustrated with my child. What do I do? And you remember, train up a child in the way that he should go and he will not depart from. Say, well, how do I want him or her to look when he or she is 22 or 25 or 30 and say, okay, I'm going to parent now with that vision in front of me later. Do we have one more? We have one more. Philip, uh, this is Romans 8.1. If you struggle with forgiveness, and this is God's forgiveness towards you, it says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, and, and sometimes we get these voices in our head when we, when we script, when we sin, and we get this voice in our head that says, you're no good. You should probably stop going to church. You should probably stop telling people you're a Christian. You know, you're probably not even a Christian because you sinned again and again and again and again. And, so, and that, that voice comes in our head. But when we have this verse in our hearts, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, 
there's no condemnation. You don't need to walk around with guilt and shame in your life. Why? Because you are in Christ. You know, these verses I've shared with you, I have memorized most of them or all of them. At some point, some are a little bit better. But here's the thing is these verses help me to respond to life's difficult situations. I gave you seven different verses, uh, but maybe I hit on something that is not a struggle for you, or maybe I, hit on, maybe I didn't hit on something that is a struggle for you. Like, gosh, I love a verse about this, or I love a verse about that. This is my email address, mattsanton at riverridge.org. If you would like a verse on a particular area of life that you're struggling with, please email me. And I, as best I can, I will search the scriptures or ask people, or maybe I know it myself, but I will help you to find a verse that will help you to deal with whatever obstacles and so forth that you're facing in life. You know, I'll finish with this. All of us have a choice. You know, you can come and say, hey, that was kind of a neat message. Subway systems, yay. You know, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I've never memorized scripture or I haven't done it in a long time. I'm going to give it a shot. Because I don't know about you, but like as I think about the subway story, like I don't want to keep getting on the same wrong subway time after time after time. I want things to dwell deep in my heart. I don't want to keep making the same mistakes in life time after time after time. And so what I've chosen to do and what I hope and pray that you will choose to do is say, I'm going to hide God's word in my heart. I'm going to let the word of God dwell in me richly. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness to help us live life the way that God wants us to live life so that we can love God more, so we can love people well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your words to us this morning. And thank you just for the richness of the truth of Scripture. God, I pray that the Word of God would dwell in us richly so that we would speed towards the obedience and the blessing that you want for us in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. I don't know how you usually close your service here. So uh, y'all come back now, you hear?